finally gave the Ringers Philly Crew a podcast. I'm Ben Solak. And I'm Shield Kapadia. That's right. Just a couple Philly guys with a new space to fire off some Eagles takes, get caught up in the Sixers chaos and more. We'll be coming to you twice a week on Sundays and Thursdays, plus bonus episodes whenever we get breaking news or Philly drama. Join the fun and follow the Ringers Philly special now on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to the Ringers NBA Draft Show. My name is Kevin O'Connor and joining me as always, the Ringers, Jay Kyle, man. What's going on, Kyle? Not a whole lot, Kev. It's just, uh, this is prime basketball season. I know we said that last week, but it's there's always something to watch, man. I mean, it's just end-to-end basketball. If you have a ravenous appetite for it, uh, you can be like, uh, if you're, you ever seen that Charlotte's Web movie where Templeton the Rat eats so much that his belly's like rolling around? That's kind of like, <laughs> you have that kind of basketball. My, 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 my like uh, hit rate on understanding your analogies and references is like so low. It's probably bottom of the leaderboard. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I was on one yesterday. I made, I made like a first person shooter. I should have made this. This would have worked with you. It didn't work with Sarah and Zach because they looked at me like I was insane. Um, I was just talking about how Zion, like guarding Zion in in like any kind of like screen action is like in a first person shooter when you spawn somewhere random, like right <laughs> next right next yeah. to somebody who's like really good and you're not prepared to to defend yourself. That was kind of the comparison I made that didn't work. But no, I'll that, try that. That makes sense to me. I like it. I was going to say this guy's like he's scheduling his whole life around Warzone. But uh, how, how's that going, by the way? Are you kicking ass on the new game? Uh, I mean, I've been playing on and off with some friends here and there. It's good to, good to connect with them and play with them. But I mean, ultimately, the game has too many crashes in the early stages here. Buggy. Too, yeah. too many little bugs that need to be resolved and all that. But the game's fun. There's improvements over Warzone 1. Um, but Which you were bugs. dominant at, right? I yeah. wouldn't say dominance. But very good. High-level player. Won, won a Most Improved Player of the Year award from 2020 to 2021. So, oh, but yeah, was this an yeah. officially sanctioned no, award, or is this no? This I, new, I, I, it's a self-imposed award. I just gave it to myself. I just, <laughs> it's me. I'm pretty sure you and Concepcion uh, chewing people up, but wasn't that? I'm pretty sure you all were a duo at one point, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, we, we had Concepcion and I played a couple of games of Warzone One together back in okay. the day. I remember okay. once, you know, me and some friends were playing with him, and, and we were dead. And instead of buying us back, he bought like a UAV. And like a gas mask. <laughs> it's one of the last times we played with him. Ruthless, ruthless, <laughs> but a competitor, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, he he just hasn't played that game much. But there are basketball games we're going to be talking about. Our first impressions are going to be the first thing we get into today because Cam Woodmore and Nick Smith, two potential lottery picks, are back on the court for their respective teams. We're going to start out with Villanova freshman Cam Whitmore who played over the weekend with a debut against Oklahoma, had only seven points, two of three from two-point range, one of four from three, no free throws, three rebounds, three steals, zero assists, two turnovers, a very basic stat line in 20 minutes. He's 6'7", 232 pounds, 18 years old, top high school recruit. Villanova won the game, by the way. Good wing, Kyle. Uninspiring debut, though. Granted, it's just in 20 minutes. I was going to say, is that your starting point? Good wing. <laughs> just that's, that's the opening statement about Cam Whitmore. Good wing. A good wing. 
Yeah. What are your first impressions of his game, Kyle? And how would you describe him to the listeners who have no idea who Cam Whitmore is? Cam Whitmore is one of those guys. He and Nick Smith are interesting to kind of balance against each other, like player types, because like what they do well now versus like what they'll do, you know, where their developmental path is going to go. Like, I think if you watch if you watch Cam Whitmore, I think the the elevator pitch is this guy is lean, but very strong. He looks like he could kind of, I always say, like dress up or down he, his body. If he wanted to choose to get leaner, he could. He could get huge if he wanted to. Uh, just kind of a, I sent one sequence to you, I think, of just just a breathtaking athlete. Like a, a lefty, or no, he's a righty, uh, takes the ball off the rim and and uh, he got in transition. His like acceleration was wild. He, and he But he's like a really interesting balance. That of, transition basket you're talking about that he scored, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I think he kicked that one out. But I mean, in transition, he's very powerful and very uh, graceful. I mean, he got to the rim and sort of decelerated. The way he decelerated, he just looked like he just looked like a he really really stuck out like he looked like a different level of athlete uh but a little erratic that's the thing on, on ball uh he he settled a few times for his jumper and his jumper has been um pretty you had the cerebro stat in front of you right about his like uh in his teenage years his kind of on and off again shooting touch low 30s from three point range you know throughout his high school career and then this summer in the FIBA Americas he shot 10 of 22 from 3 so high level shooter this summer Best he's ever shot it, but has never been like a knockdown three point shooter throughout his life. I mean, the mechanics look solid. I mean, I, I'm not sure he's like he took that step back three. Everybody's going crazy on NBA draft Twitter about that. The the the, the first I believe that was his first make um, that he had in the game, but the shot's kind of stiff, you know, off the dribble. Yeah. I'm not sure that's going to be his game in the NBA, at least in the early stages. Yeah, I wanted to see him. I, I sent you another screenshot too of like in the second half he. He had ga- He was just kind of making choices that didn't make a ton of sense because he was way more athletic than anybody Oklahoma ha- had out there. Should have been getting to the rim and drawing fouls. There were a few times where gaps opened up and and uh, Oklahoma center, uh, his name off the top of my head is escaping me, but he, it was a guy that Cam should have been able to just challenge and get to the rim easily. Um, other thing too, something to keep an eye on is his handle development. Um, I always use this term like, the width of how wide they can get with their dribble and still be under control. Like you, you consider somebody like John ja Morant when he's dribbling the ball, gets super wide and super low with the ball. His is a little, when he starts getting, the wider he gets with it, the more kind of uh, the seams start to show a little bit with his handle. Have you noticed that? Yeah, he had the ball slip out of his hands on a crossover, I believe on the left wing in the second half. Are you referring yeah. to like, when he gets that crossover wide, he keeps it tight, right? Yeah. But he's not creating like a lot of space. Like it looks good, but it's it's like kind of it's the type of moves you're seeing him practice in open gym. Yeah, but they're but they're not actually creating space for him off the dribble to get to the basket or to step back or sidestep three and all that. That's what you, you what you mean, right? Yeah, and you see sometimes. I mean, sometimes with younger players, um, I, this is why I always think like just playing is just really important. Just playing, just like getting out there and and like getting reps against and like getting that like reaction. Have some fun, kids. Still yes. play. <laughs> Unlike Kevin, get out there and play ball. Since Kevin retired like a yeah. coward, right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> and no, no more pickup from me. Yeah, yeah. Kevin said, which people injury risk people. I wouldn't. I'm. Honestly, I probably would have guessed like your style of play that you told me that like just get out there and like just a vicious, oh yeah, like nitty gritty like little thing kind of guy. I would di- I'd dive on the concrete. <laughs> I, I was that guy. Like come home with scraped elbows. Yeah, and that was me. I can't play if I'm not embracing who I am on the court. <laughs> he can't betray. So you can't evolve. Is what you're saying? No, you're getting, I mean, or is your game just not really equipped to evolve? Well, maybe maybe I can. I, I just where's the time for me? Like full time, you know, job with the ringer. You know, to have my friends and my mom here. Where am I going to spend all this time working on my jumper to become a spot up three? I, I'm not a shooter. This sounds like an awesome like video project that we should do because I know that there are people who are like trainer or trainer adjacent that come across Ringer NBA stuff. If you want to train <laughs> Kevin, please hit us up because I'm really I'm invested in your skill development, Kevin. I just want to see I really want to see you evolve. I want to see you add some things. I want to see you create contact in the lane before you finish. Anyway, this is I'd love to there. be a knockdown shooter, Kyle. I yeah. trade I trade some good things in my life to become a knockdown shooter. Because then I could, could play pickup again. 
Get Rob Fedora on the phone. We need to get we get get Fred Vincent on the phone. We need to get Kev. I just I'm fascinated about watching this. If you're willing to shoot on camera, that's always kind of a humiliating experience. If you if prefer, yeah, I don't even like to shoot. On it's camera humiliating right to record myself and watch myself shoot. That's why I'm solid at diagnosing poor shooters and recognizing that Ben Simmons shoots with the wrong hand because I might shoot with the wrong hand. Oh, God. That's like I always say. I'm always really good at uh, spotting teams that are unhappy because they're losing because that was my whole high school career. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an expert at it. You recognize the signs. I'm like, oh, yeah, I see what's going on here. He's unhappy. Look, he's they didn't they didn't run on that play. They're pissed at the coach. I'm a a master. Uh, No, (laughs) but with with my, my overall point is just like the value of just playing, I think, is like a cultivator of feel. And I I think sometimes you see sometimes with guys um, who are really athletic or have odd feel kind of bumpiness in their in their game. uh, Maybe they're like just regurgitating. You said it like regurgitating moves in a way that's not really responsive or functional. You know, they're more just kind of like, here's a move and and their defender just stood there the whole time that kind of thing yeah yeah so that, exactly yeah that that matters but uh, i went more we were talking about body types i mean the og body type i don't think they're the same type of player um i think whitmore could be very disruptive like defensively i'm going to keep an eye on kind of his steal percentage for the season um how do you feel about him defensively or like what do you what do you have a comp that you like for him i think the og one's pretty good you know maybe a deandre hunter some, yeah. Somebody like that where he's not, where you kind of see, like with Hunter, when he played at Virginia, there were signs of him becoming a on-ball guy who can do some self-creation. And he can a little bit, but he's not the primary. And I think with Cam Whitmore and that, granted, it's just our first impressions, just that first game, we'll see how he develops. I mean, you can see, you know, even going back to high school, he uses some change of pace. He He mixes in those crossovers. You can see the potential for him to be a creator, but I don't think that's going to be his primary role. I think the primary role is become a knockdown three-point shooter, defend your ass off, you know, on offense. Like he, my, th- my favorite play he made was, I think, second half. Uh, uh, it was a backdoor cut. You know, his, his defender was slightly out of position, and as soon as, the, as soon as he recognized that, he cut back door, you know, called for the ball, catches it, lowers his right shoulder into the recovering defender, creates space for the layup. It's like, that's that's the stuff I'm looking for, right? Cutting, awareness, you know, backdoor lobs that Villanova might call for him, spot-up shooting, and all the other stuff. Like, that's kind of like the fluff, right? You know, maybe long-term it develops, but more than anything else, I think you want him to be to show what he can be as in a potential elite-level defender, and he was disruptive. I mean, he had that play, you know, reaching into a dribble handoff, disrupting that play, jumping, passing lanes. He looked good on defense, I thought, for his first game back. Would you agree? Yeah, I I think that he had some lapses where he kind of lost track of the play, but Mm. I think it's the speed of the game, sometimes just getting acclimated. That kind of stuff happens with freshmen. Um, Because in college, the execution obviously just goes up a notch. And Oklahoma had some experienced guys out there. But I, you're right. He, he reached in there and got some deflections. I think he could be like a deflection king at this level. I, I think that he really is an, a, a top-tier athlete at the college level. Um, but cutting is one of the things. I just like a guy that, that understands oh, yeah. spatially timing those types of things. Like, it really drives me nuts when I see a team and I'm just – or I see a play where a guy sets a screen and doesn't go into the open space or something like that. You got to make the defense move. It, it's kind of an underrated skill, I think. You know who's really good at that? Aaron Gordon, which is why he's such a great fit next to Jokic. Like the, all the guys that Denver's added, Bruce Brown, great at that. Aaron Gordon, great at that. Michael Porter Jr., granted, he's known as a shooter, bucket getter. Like he's showing he can move without the ball too, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what they've surrounded Jokic with. And I think I, I like the Aaron Gordon comp, you know, just bringing it up there. Aaron Gordon on offense, maybe, but a better shooter, you hope. Something like that, maybe. Does that work for him as kind of a a, a broad shades of comparison for, for Cam Whitmore? We mentioned OG, Hunter, Gordon just now. Anybody else come to mind? Yeah, he's in that chasm between 3-4 where I feel like Aaron is more in the 4 trying yeah. to learn to be a 3 and... You know, maybe in other scenarios that was rough around the edges, like in Orlando, we would see at times. But like you, you hit it on the head. I mean, like playing with Jokic is a perfect setup for somebody like him. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like Cam is more on the three tilt. I agree. Yeah. yeah. 
so with Cam, the way we're talking about him, if I'm if I'm learning of Cam Whitmore for the first time right now, I'm thinking to myself like, okay, this uh, this guy sounds like a good mid first round draft pick, and yet he's projected four, five, six. Where do you kind of have him right now on your board, Kyle? How high could you see him go? Is this somebody that has a, that could drop? You know, because like 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 I said, if I'm a listener right now. I'm not hearing about self-creation. I'm not hearing about playmaking. I'm not hearing about a guy that's going to run my offense. I'm hearing him compared to guys like OG and Hunter who are very good players, but they're not leading my franchise. Yeah, but I mean, it's different year to year, right? Like you're not necessarily going to get the same caliber of player. We talk, we talk about this ad, like ad nauseum, but I mean like OG... I mean, if you knew OG was going to be what he is now, which we've had a lot of conversations about this lately, about properly ranking him within the league, I mean, that's a top 10 pick easy. I mean, he definitely got, that was a steal at the time. What did he go, 18th? 23. 23. Because he had the torn ACL. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, just a modern, like, switchable, like, king guard could check bigs. I think he has that type of body. If we knew, If we knew that... Whitmore, who I don't know that he's necessarily as defensively, if you weighed him against somebody like he's bigger than Kaysen, but like identity wise, has has Cam embraced it the same way defensively, like as his identity, the same way Kaysen has, do you think? I don't think so, no. Who would you pick between those two? I mean, I'd want to pick Cam Whitmore in theory, but in reality, I'm 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 not so sure at this point. Oh, so you're a little lower. You asked me where I had him. I've probably got him in more 6 to 11-ish kind yeah. of range. Probably 8. Yeah. I think we're in the same ballpark there um, yeah. with him. But like, I, if I'm drafting a guy 3, 4, 5, 6, I mean, there's so many guys in this draft class, like the Thompson Twins, Amen, Osar, like uh, He's improving his jump shot this year. Nick Smith, who we'll talk about in a second. You mentioned Cason Wallace, who has that defensive ability, and he has some shot creation skill. Keontae George from Baylor, who we talked about weeks ago. There's guys who can generate buckets for you. Um, never mind Brandon Miller from Alabama. We've talked about his playmaking and shooting ability, too. Where maybe Cam Whitmore slides behind some of those guys. So I think that's that's going to be the key thing that I'm looking for over the course of the season from him. How, how does he improve? A, how good is he really as a shooter? Like, what level does he actually reach? Is he, is he shooting 29% from three? closer to his career averages in high school or is he shooting more like he did in FIBA over the summer where he's you know 40 plus percent um like that's the big question number one but two also the shot creation aspect does that develop at all and three like you said does he embrace being a defensive stopper right does he really take on that role and, and treat it as his key thing because if he can show that I mean, then I'd feel very comfortable, depending on what team I am, taking him in the four, five, six range. But ultimately, right now, I think there's so many shot creators, including Nick Smith, yeah, who made his debut for Arkansas, 6'5", 184 pounds, 18 years old, top high school recruit, last week against San Jose State, 16 points on 6 of 14, 3 of 5 from 3, 5 assists, 0 turnovers. And then he had a big game last night, 22 points, 3 assists, 1 of 4 from 3. Also, 6 of 14 got to the line a bunch. Um, to get that point total. What are your first impressions of Nick Smith, Kyle? He was your guy, you know, first week of our podcast. You had mentioned them. Um, what do you think about his first two games so far? He's still my guy. I mean, he's showing all the things that I like. You're talking about like spatial intelligence and cutting and things like that. Nick doesn't really miss those opportunities. I mean, he just is a natural bucket getter scorer type that uh, can go on or off. And I, I think that his like spatial sense really lines up well and like bolsters his like, He's just got that funky little bag of like little tricky ways that he scores. I know that that sounds like ambiguous, like cop out kind of thing in in lieu of being specific, but he just has that floater game. He just has all these ways that he nickel and dimes you with with buckets. And I think that like that's why he's going to be a, an effective player because uh, we talked about last year, you know, how Keegan uh, stretched the defense kind of he stretched their attention span because he was such a good cutter. I, th- I think Nick has that in his game. I thought last night. He kind of had this frantic energy at times, I thought, like, uh, or I forget if it was two nights ago or last night, but um, it's all a blur. But he did kind of have that like nervous, frantic energy, like, I'm back. I got to I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. And uh, he was just kind of going 100 miles an hour. Did you, did you feel that way? Oh, yeah. Very speedy, right? 
It was yeah. sped up, it seemed like, you know, making some poor decisions as a shooter, forcing some shots, especially as he got into the lane. Um, I, mean, I like him. I don't, I don't love him. I don't think I like him as much as you do. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. I thought that he challenged groups of defenders a couple times in a way that was a little silly. Um, he, he just seemed a little eager to, this is a different thing, but I mean, you remember when like Clay came back and he was like really excited to get going again? Yeah, We yeah. definitely <laughs> had a couple, like a month and a half where it was just like, Clay, chill a little bit. Like just ease into it. It was kind of, I've gotten a sense of maybe Nick sitting out. He's just eager to get going and help Arkansas for sure. How good is he as a shooter though? I mean, we're talking like both those games, six of 14 from the field. Is he a knockdown guy? Is he a above average shooter? I think that's my big question with him as a player. Like, how great is this kid actually as a shooter? I think he's pretty good. I think he's got to let the game come to him, though. I think it's all connected. Like, he, he was just taking weird transition threes. I think if he lets the game come to him, I think he could be a, easily a 35 to 40% shooter in the NBA. Um, and, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him to have some 40s, honestly. I, I, I think he's a pretty good shooter, and I expect that to translate. Like, off the dribble, I think off the catch, just as long as he plays within himself. I mean, it's early. Uh, um, we're all able to change our opinions. But right now, I like Anthony Blackmore, his teammate. Mm, okay. Anthony Black just strikes me more as the oh, like this this guy is a ten year NBA vet. Like he he's he's the guy who you watch him. Like he in that same I think it was I forget which game it was. It was at UNC Greensboro where he had this like pick and roll on the on the left side of the floor. I mean we talked about like snaking, like showing mm-hmm. that feel for the game. Snake. He goes from right to left hesitation move. Snakes towards the middle of the floor and. And at this point, like the the screening big was sealing off Black's man, right? And and it, and it's a smaller defender, so Black recognized this, makes a jump pass high where only his teammate could catch it, and it resulted in two points. And it was just one of those, oh, this guy's showing off a hesitation, spatial awareness, good playmaking ability, all in one. And it's just one of those little moments where you see what he can be as a passer. Never mind the scoring ability, clutch. Plays hard, defends. Uh, Anthony Black just has the better all-around game to me than Nick Smith. But maybe this is just, he's had more reps. He also got off to a slower start before he did really well in Maui. Maybe Nick Smith does start to slow down and figures it out. But right now, like at this particular moment, I prefer Black over Smith. How about you, Kyle? I'm still Smith. I, I just think the shooting, I believe in it more. It's one of those either or, but it doesn't mean I want to like, you know, push one off and down a trap door and never to be seen again. <laughs> it's kind of like I just one over the other, you know, um, instead of or but whatever. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he does show some, you know, I don't want to like uh, the don't want to get struck by lightning blast me thing because this guy's been so good and I don't believe in him in the same way because of the shooting stuff but like kind of the Halliburton feel kind of thing like when whenever you know you would watch Halliburton do simple simple kind of read react stuff like that I mean Black has that kind of herky jerky odd somebody posted the other day a really um some of his physical traits that he has some start stop a rhythmic kind of stuff that's interesting that makes him more difficult to guard despite not being an elite athlete um he has a lot of that stuff. I just, I still prefer Smith. And I think once he slows down, he'll be, I think he's going to be the leader of that team. So that, that's the key thing you're watching for from him this season that is slowing down because we know he's, he can create space, right? So it's just, is there anything else that people, when they tune into Arkansas, should be watching for from Nick Smith? I think the playmaking growth. Uh, I believe, I believe in Which the tie, ties to the slowing down aspect. Right? Exactly. It's yeah. all interconnected. You know, it, it really is. So, like, um, I believe in the in the scoring growth. I think that it's going to be it'll draw attention. I think he'll have opportunities to draw two. He'll have opportunities. He didn't seize them because of his eagerness the other night, and that's just what we're talking about. You know, like he's so excited. Just slow down. See when you draw to see the opportunities. They're both good players, man. Like we like we said last week. I know we've talked a lot about Arkansas already on this pod, but uh, they have interesting players, and he's a good one. The interesting thing with Nick Smith is the fact that he he kind of fits into that Jaden Hardy style bucket as a as a scoring player. Hardy is a top five high school recruit. Goes to the G League Ignite, stinks, and falls all the way to thirty seven. Like I I think it's the right decision for guys to play especially for Nick Smith he's got a loaded roster they could go all the way and win the with the freaking championship like he should play but like you see Shaden Sharp doesn't play goes number seven 
Darius Garland plays five games in college, goes number five. There, there are benefits to remaining a mystery. I mean, we've seen players drop time and time and time again after being elite high school recruits and then playing in college. Is there risk for a guy with Nick Smith's qualities to play this year at Arkansas? Or, or like, is he the type of guy that you feel like it's very safe for him to play in this year's draft class, and there's only like something to gain to become maybe the number three pick if he does, you know, improve in the ways that you're talking about with his feel and passing and and pace of play. I've thought a lot about this. I think this is one of the more interesting conversations surrounding the draft and development in general. I'm always, generally, always in favor of playing just because I think reps. I said it earlier in the pod. I think reps. I had a. <laughs> I just got. I just got to get out there and just start shooting. Well, well, <laughs> I'm I'm hesitating. I don't think this person would Until ever no, hear this. Nobody but, passes me the ball. Well, I was playing at the gym the other day, and there was this kid who is always in there working out by himself, and uh, he he has his phone like propped up, and I'm like watching him. I'm just I kind of just sneaking glances at him, like watching this workout. And we've had a couple of instances where we've been like, "Hey, man, we need another. Do you want to play?" And he's and he's told us, "No, I have to work out." And after it happened like the third time, I was like, I couldn't help it. I mean, I'm like 20 years older than this kid. I was like, I was like, dude, you need to be playing. I was like, you should come play. I was like, you're always over here by yourself. I was like, and then he comes out there playing. He doesn't know how to play. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And like, he, he come down and like, I don't know. I just, I'm all long story short. I'm always in favor of playing, but some guys you got to think of who. Let's see, Cam Whitmore just pull out the open gym moves, just cross over. Are you laughing at my like audacity to, <laughs> no, to, to do that? I, no, you're I, right. I, you should play. You're right. I was, I try not to do that, but because what, what the hell do I know? I didn't play college volume, but I do believe in playing. <laughs> and I think that like, um, you got to kind of think about who's the most at risk, I guess. I was trying to look at like the pattern among the guys who did play who suffered. And it's like, usually it's guys who, come into the into the college game as like super athletes like we pointed out JD Davison Trayvon Duval is another guy that I po- pointed out that was like a really respected like recruit and at the college level we saw his warts like if you if you have struggle like with the other aspects of the game like if you're super fast but you can't dictate pace with like your scoring ability like if like all those things are interconnected I hated watching Duval he was rough. Can't stand him. Yeah. And, and you, like Davison was a similar thing. Highly rated. I remember like the Instagram reels for him were just like crazy. Everybody was like, oh my God, Daddy Davison, what they got going on down there in Alabama? And it was like, and then he comes in and I, I, he, he ended up going to the Celtics at what pick? I forget. It was an afterthought. I mean, <laughs> he was yeah. a flyer. Du- Duvall looked like Dwight Howard when he shot the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So bad. And when Duke got him, I was like, oh, man, this team's going to be tough. And then it just didn't work. But I think like things like that, that like are going to get exposed, like your lack of like ability to shoot the ball, your lack of ability to like have respect on the ball. If that get ex- gets exposed, you're at risk if you play. And then there's just feel in general feel like Brandon Boston kind of looked rough because of his lack of feel because of his lack. If he hadn't played, I think he would have gone a whole lot higher. I thought I think about like Scal Labissier. What are your memories of like uh, what worried you about Scout? Uh, uh, well, I, I was excited to watch him in college, first of all. And he had just no feeling. He didn't know how to play. He looked like he was just playing by himself for 18 years, like your friend at the gym. God, dude, if you watched video of him like in an empty gym, like coming off, I remember the combine, he was like coming off of these, these curls and a drill and like shooting the ball. He had the prettiest jumper, the prettiest mechanics. It was just mm-hmm. like, good Lord, who is this yeah. guy? But then you got in the college game, like you didn't know how to play. So those guys are really at risk. I think that like, but it, the landscape's different. Tell me if you agree or disagree with this. I think the landscape is different today, though, where we can come to correct conclusions, I feel like, without the college sample. Like, even if even if there's mystery, like, Sharp, I feel like his tape was really strange. But if somebody like me, and I'm not, I don't think this was difficult to see. It was, you know, I feel like some somebody doing this, like just that's not a real scout, can watch the tape and kind of get a pretty good idea. I don't know. Does it lower the need for college? Does it really matter for somebody like Sharp or for like Garland? Because I feel like Garland probably would have gone there regardless. Like he, like he, he probably would have gone in the same spot either way. Don't you think? 
Probably. Yeah, I would think so. The Garland would have. Maybe he maybe he bumps up his stock a little bit. Maybe he goes to four or three instead of five. But I, I think for the most part, yes, you're right. Like you can get a feel for who a guy is by watching them play in FIBA or EYBL and their high school video. Like there's so many different types of competitions and situations and environments and roles that guys are plugged into. What about like, uh, I mean, Jalen Johnson dropped. I feel like if he had played, he wouldn't have gone that far down. I mean, some a lot of times it's like things that orbit them, like, you know, wonder, wondering about who they are as people, worrying about that. I know like the more Kuminga played, the more people worried about him. Do you think he would have had a chance to get the top pick if he had skipped playing in the G League Ignite? Probably. Yeah. I, I think you might be onto something with a guy like Kuminga because so much of him and the, and the whole reason he even went number seven for that matter, is the fact that this guy is 6'8", long, great athlete. If only he improves as a shooter, right? If only he could do that. Whereas playing in the G League, you kind of saw the feel for the game and some of the poor decisions and some of the, the blind spots on defense. like That all popped up seeing him play for the Ignite that year. But he still goes number seven. I mean, I wonder how high he would have went otherwise. I, I don't if he doesn't play it, does he go ahead of Barnes at four? I don't think so. Ahead of Suggs at five, maybe. He might depending, have, depending on, I, I can't imagine he would have gone any higher than five. I think it would have been in the conversation, though, because Suggs really rose during the college year, yeah. remember? And, and Barnes kind of, I don't know, I, they were always kind of neck and neck. And I think the potential, the upside play with Kuminga always made people kind of nudge him ahead of Barnes when they were high schoolers. And, and then when he reclassed, I know, it was the, but it was the same thing. I just think if there was any pattern, um, maybe this is something I could write about or do a video about someday, but if there was any pattern, I, th- I feel like exposure of lack of feel is like one of the yeah. damning ones that really, like, if you can't play, but, you know, it's that uh, <laughs> it's that don't play and be a hero or, like, play long enough to become the villain if you're, if you're mm. in that situation. Like, Sharp, there was a little worry about that with him, but I don't know. I don't, we talked about Sharp last week, but that would be kind of my feeling. And I, so to round it, circle it back, no, I don't think Nick Smith is at, at risk because I do think his feel is pretty good. I'm with you there, Kyle. We'll take a quick break here and then come back and talk about a, a deep sleeper. Deep sleep. Hopefully nobody's going into a deep sleep listening to me talk about <laughs> scalabins. <laughs> 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 All right, Kyle, everybody's up from their nap after uh, Scalabissier <laughs> aside <Little groggy>. there. <laughs> we're we're going to try out a new segment here called Meet and Greet. It's going to be about a, a deep sleeper prospect, Kyle, that you feel like NBA fans listening to this podcast may have never heard of. It's an NPC, a made-up name. It might as well be. But soon they will realize that this player is somebody they should know. So who are you introducing us to today? I'm going to introduce now the hardcore draft people have have been chattering about this fella for a little bit. Uh, this guy's from Waukee, Iowa. His name is Tucker DeVries. DeVries. Um, he is a six foot seven, um, really mobile shooter. He's a sophomore at Drake right now. Um, he's averaging 21 points per game, six rebounds, two assists per game, but he's shooting 45% from three. Mm. Now, if I was going to give you the, the, what, what I expect, when you watch, when you watch him, or this is kind of the situation. When you watch him at Drake, he's on ball. He's at a lower major school, um, whereas he probably wouldn't be doing that. It's a little bit of the Baylor Shireman thing, but he's a different player. He's kind of a, he legitimately has like NBA speed mechanics. I think he'll probably have to speed it up. You know, everybody does when they go to the NBA, but. Um, shoots the shit out of the ball, man. I mean, he just has a beautiful jump shot. And the fact that he is on ball a lot, I think is going to be a nice, could be a potential separator for him going down the road as he, like, it's an area he could expand to. But I I expect him to be a spacer in the way that a Kispert, a McDermott, I know I'm going to rattle off a lot of white guy names here, but <laughs> I think he's... <laughs> keep well, going. Duncan well, Robinson... Uh, Duncan Robinson. I mean, he's a guy that like not super doesn't have a super amount of boogie off the dribble, but <laughs> but more than a Duncan Robinson. Did you did you enjoy the the chart that I made for yeah, you? The yeah, gra- Kyle Kyle put a chart in the document 
Uh, and on the there's a, a Y axis and an X axis. On the Y axis at the top is can handle, and at the bottom is can't handle. And on the X axis is on the left low shot mobility, and on the right great shot mobility. And you know you got Boyan Bogdanovich in the upper right quadrant can handle. He's not in the far upper. It's just he's in the upper he's, right he's, quadrant. Yeah, he's in the can upper right quadrant. And then in the bottom right quadrant, you get Doug McDermott and Duncan Robinson, players who don't handle but have great shot mobility. Yes. Where, where where does our guy Tucker DeVries fall on this outstanding specialist with size chart? He could end up just above Doug McDermott. Like, I don't know that he, like, Bojan kind of developed it as he went. I think Bojan's on-ball stuff's a little underrated. Bojan's like, he's, a really good player, dude. Yeah, he he's is. He's a really good player. Way underrated. But you'll watch him in the dribble sometimes, and I'll just be like, man, he, like, we just don't, you, ne- you never really got to see him do it as much in Utah. He was, like, such a, like, off-screen mover, spacer type. I think that, like, the Tucker, I think, is going to need the table set for him probably for the first little while, but I definitely think he's somebody that you could run off of screens, and he's not so incompetent that, like, if you if you crowd him, like, he's going to be able to go off the dribble and make simple passes. i I think he looks like an NBA shooter, man. I really do. So I was looking at his numbers. He shot 33% from three last year. Uh, according to Cerebro Sports, the competitions that they have in their database, he shot mid-30% as well throughout high school, but he shot way over 40% at his high school. What level is he really as a shooter? What's the difference between this year compared to last year? I mean, is he actually like this elite-level shooter? Because he looks the part. Everything I watch from him, he looks like a knockdown guy. Contested, open, coming off of screens, pulling up. I mean, that hasn't made a difference so far this year at Drake. I think the variety of ways that he's getting them is the thing that's encouraging me the most. Um, I'm like you, I'm really trusting I'm trusting my eyes, which is a real egotistical thing to say, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's me. You know, I trust me. Uh, no, I, I just, you look at the touch that he has. The ways that he, I haven't compared the samples, I haven't compared like why what he missed last year, and that's something that I'll probably do at some point. I know I will, but um, the the way the ways he's getting them, this I even like, I got watching some like pickup game that he played now because I just wanted to watch him casually shoot the ball. Um, I I think that he could probably hover around that like low forties, like in the in shooting in the NBA. Is he going to be like a top like a lottery pick? Probably not. I mean, he's probably he's a guy that late like, first. I mean, Kispert was. What Kispert went 14th, right? Or where did he yeah. go? Yeah. So, 14, I mean, it's possible. 15, something like that. Yeah. And he was older. So, I mean, I, it's definitely possible. I, I think he's just a guy. He's, he could, he projects as a specialist, but we'll see, we'll see how it unfolds. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, nothing. We need that. No. I mean, I think every team could use a specialist. I'm, I'm sure the Wizards right now, I mean, I was taking Kispert at 15, the, the right choice. Um, I don't know. I mean, the guys drafted behind him, Alper and Shengun, you'd probably rather him. Yeah. Trey Murphy, he'd probably rather him. Big yes. That was just thinking about me whiffing yeah. on that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Trey Murphy looks awesome. Do you remember what I said to you about Trey Murphy versus Zaire? I don't remember, no. I'm at the point where I think that like taking Trey Murphy over Zaire would be malpractice. <laughs> <laughs> Strong statement. I was yeah. trying to dig in, but anyway, Trey's really good, just to your point. He's a, he's a really good player. I mean, uh, Memphis probably would be feeling some regret right now too, right? Imagine if they had Trey Murphy on their roster instead of Zaire Williams. Granted, Zaire is a very good defender, you know, athletic player. He's got some upside. Trey Murphy's like shooting the hell out of the ball, man, for the Pelicans. Like you mentioned like the shot diversity that you see from DeVries at, at Drake. Trey Murphy, same thing. Like he can spot up. He can hit a one dribble pull up. He can hit those side dribble jumpers. He can come off of screens and handoffs. Like this dude is a weapon. At six foot nine. Yeah. It's such he an looks important bigger. role player for them. Oh, he looks huge. Doesn't he look bigger? Some yeah. guys look bigger. Yes. Uh, when I interviewed him, like, it, it, well, so like two things. When I did my story on the Pelicans for the Ringer about a month ago, um, Trey Murphy, I interviewed him at the, at, after a Pelicans practice. That dude looks like he's seven feet. Like, he just feels like he's seven feet tall, right? And when I interviewed Larry Nance, he says to me how, like, he plays center for them. But oftentimes, like when he gets on the elevator, he's like near Trey Murphy. He doesn't want to get near near him because he feels so small. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> and it's the truth. Like Trey Murphy is huge, dude. And 
what a what a great year for him too. When when Ingram's been out or Zion's been out, his ability to step up and take on more more of a role. He's had like so many 26, 25 point games for them this year. I, I love Trey Murphy, man. Well, tying him to this, I mean, aside from our just love for Trey Murphy, I've come around. I I ate some crow on that, but I didn't think he'd be bad. I just like the I I looked at his role in college and what he did and what he did well. I thought it was like I was skeptical of what he could do as like a self creator, but you don't want to over scrutinize that because some guys are just going to be sort of self creators and they're going to be like have the table set for them and that's fine. Like you don't want to just always, always, always prioritize like creation at the expense of some guys are just great specialists and they're always going to specialize at a higher level than the other guy could get to in their upside as a playmaker, if that makes sense. But I just, I think Trey, I I don't know that I would put DeVries at that level. I think that he's, but I think he's somebody that could support, you know, space and add chaos and screening and things like that in these, in these like movement based, screening based, cutting based offenses that we're seeing more and more of. He fits that bill because he, he'll draw respect with the shooting. All right, let's 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 move from the guy nobody knows, Tucker DeVries, but now you do, to the guy everybody knows with our weekly Wemby on Victor Wembanyama. Since our last pod, he's played two games, 32 points on 12 of 20 last week, another d- dominant performance. But then Mets 92 actually lost on Tuesday, uh, one of Wemby's worst games that he had. He had only 15 points on 14 shots, yeah. six rebounds, three blocks, and an L. They got whooped, man. Wemby falling out of the lottery now, Kyle? I'm, you know, I hate to say it, but doubt is creeping in. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Is Bull Bull actually better? Let's put a pin in that. Uh, (laughs) I know you love those comparisons that are everywhere right now. You love them. Adore it. Um, No, like the the team that they played, um, I believe it's Rowan. um, Rowan, I don't know how you would pronounce that. Um, They have a lot of like, former college like D1 guys on their team and they came out I like I was watching the game and they came out ready to they really punched them in the mouth like they have a, they have a guard Stefan Moody who played in the SEC and it seemed like I had to go back and look I was like does he have something against Tremont Waters because he made Tremont Waters play a terrible game and Moody was a good guard at Ole Miss I don't know if you remember watching him like 5'10 kind of a shooter kind of the Kimba mold type guy you remember do you remember Stefan Moody did you did you get to watch that's a that's a deeper cut he almost like ended Kentucky's undefeated season in 2015 because he got super hot at Rupp. Interesting player. Anyway, but that, that game, they came out and just kind of uh, Silvio D'Souza, who played for Kansas. I don't think much of it, honestly. But Wimby yeah. did some of the typical kind of stuff. He blocked Moody at one point in transition on a three. I sent you a screenshot of oh, his Oh, that's hand. unbelievable. Like the shot. <laughs> The shot is like six feet out of his hands, and and Wimby's you there's like you can see his hand above the ball like there it's not like he's like eclipsing it it's like he's over it that pull up three he hit was crazy after the block and then he then he's like clapping his hands calling for the ball and then he just isolates and hits a side dribble three pointer oh my god yeah he's, he's still in some of those moments even even in a bad game for for Mets ninety two which which speaks to. His greatness as a prospect, even on an off night, he still does like these wow things on the court that positively impact his team. Um, Bill Simmons tweeted this morning about how he thinks the Bulls should tank. Uh, Michael Pina wrote an article a couple weeks ago on The Ringer about that. One of the key things here for the Bulls is that their pick is top four protected this year. Otherwise, it goes to the Magic. So there's risk in them pulling the plug. Um, but they will be able to keep their pick, even though it goes to Orlando. And if they do keep their pick this year, it would become top three protected the following year, going to the Magic. About a month ago, I said, "Oh, maybe this is like early. Well, maybe the Bulls should think about it." I feel like we're progressively moving towards the point that we're getting at a, it's December seventh as we record. Trade season really kicks off December fifteenth. We're nearing a point now where you're going to have more of these conversations about. Will they or won't they tank? And, and I, like, there's a very clear bottom five in the NBA right now. Orlando's five and twenty; they're absolutely horrific, despite having some very nice young players. San Antonio has lost eleven in a row, lost sixteen out of seventeen. They are <laughs> absolutely free falling. Yeah. Free falling. Oh my! Yeah. Detroit seven and nineteen, Charlotte seven and seventeen, Houston seven and seventeen, and then Chicago. At nine and fourteen, they're kind of they're five games back from the worst record. They're only two and a half games back from a playoff spot. They're one of those teams that they could go 
either direction right now. A month ago, I posed the question in my weekly column on The Ringer, maybe maybe they should think about it. Like This could be approaching that point. Since then, we've had Zach Lowe say the Lakers have talked internally about a DeRozan boots trade. We've had Woj come out and say that perhaps they're going to be a team that everybody's going to be watched. Will they pivot? Do some of their players become available? We have Bill Simmons talking about it on his podcast, tweeting about it. Where are you at with Kyle with the Bulls? Should they just trade everybody, blow it up, and go all in on becoming one of the Wemby teams? I think the thing that I zero in on is, you know, a year and a half ago, or how I guess it was even just a year ago, when we were talking about the Bulls had put together something finally that made sense. You know, like everybody was really hard on Zach Levine for a long time, comes from Minnesota, recovers, improves, gains all kinds of respect. We're like, hey, Zach Levine, man, you know, pretty good player. I've been hard on him. And then they supplement him with things that made sense. You know, they bring in DeMar DeRozan. They bring in Lonzo Ball. Suddenly you have this three-headed monster uh, that looked awesome. They had guys that could close games. The question, though, is, and I remember the conversations, maybe you, you and I even had them around the time, were they actually close at that point? You know, like, and, and the point that I that I want to make here is just that, like, they had defensive questions, obviously, with Vooch. I assume if Vooch got traded to the Lakers, he's coming off the bench for that team because spatially he doesn't totally make a lot of sense. But I don't know that they were necessarily, as good as they got, I don't know that they would have ascended beyond the powers in the East. You know, I don't know that they would have had the superstar power. So now we come to everything has fallen apart. They're in the middle in a way that, feels nauseating you know do you do you agree with that like i just don't i don't see i don't know that the upward mobility is possible based on also like the guys they've drafted uh i lean towards yeah it's probably time to to try something else what do you think undoubtedly time to try something else uh, i think with with the bulls i mean listen i was in support of the vooch trade when that happened and part of the reason why i was in support of it was because I felt like with Levine, he was getting better. Um, and I had belief in Patrick Williams. I thought by now Patrick Williams would be much, much better than he was as a rookie. He's not. Still believe? What's your belief temperature? Cool? I don't know. Huh? I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I think he's, he's going to be a solid role player. Mm-hmm. He, he can shoot some spot-up threes for you. He can defend, but, I mean, he's okay. Did you see where he said, I, 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 I'm pretty sure, I, well, I saw it was from an account. I got tagged, one of, one of the guys that cover the Bulls. But he, he said he still thought that he had what it took to, to become a superstar in the league. What do you feel about that confidence? I don't know. I mean, confidence is nice. It doesn't mean that it's a reality for him. Yeah. Like the creation aspect just hasn't developed for him. And maybe that's due to the fact that, you know, DeRozan and Levine and previously Lonzo Ball you know, had had possession all the time and he hasn't gotten those reps. But I just don't think the ability's there. And I thought it was very important for him to, to, to turn into that for this to work. And it just hasn't. And now you're at a point where Vooch is one of the worst defensive centers in all of basketball. You know, like you think about what Brooke Lopez turned into for Milwaukee. He, he's turned into a DPOI candidate with a lower offensive usage. Vooch has not gotten better on defense than he was in Orlando. He's going to be a free agent next summer. DeRozan can be a free agent in 2024. Lonzo's career might be over, unfortunately, if that knee injury is to believe to be as bad as it is. Like, he signed through 2025, and then Levine's going to be making nearly $50 million through the 2027 season. And Levine has fallen off playing next to DeRozan because DeRozan has seized that number one role. And Levine, Levine, like, he got better for a while on defense. He hasn't sustained that. I just think the Bulls, unfortunately, they tried to accelerate things and it was a worthy risk trading for Vooch. But boy, oh boy, I'd, I'd much rather have Wendell Carter and Franz Wagner right now mm. than if I were the Bulls right now. It'd be a younger team building organically rather than going the way they did. By Like, it created some fun moments. DeMar DeRozan had so many game winners last year, so many clutch moments, and that's all cool and all. But But ultimately, right now for the Bulls, there's no move they can make this year to get themselves anywhere close to the level of forget about Boston, Milwaukee, the clear top two teams in the NBA, in my opinion. Like they're they're not going to be able to match a Brooklyn, a Philly, 
even if Miami gets right, like like what what can they do to get to that level? Can they even be more competitive? Like they can't be better than Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland's good, dude. <laughs> can they be better than Atlanta? Atlanta has their own issues too, for that matter. But can they be better than what their best best version is? I just I just don't see the path for the, for, for the Bulls. Whereas if they become the team that says, you know what, we're gonna pull the plug on this, yoink it out, right? Yoink it. There's gonna be a lot of teams that want Demar Derozan. For sure. It's going to be a, yeah. like Vooch, despite some of his issues, you put him next to AD, allow AD to play the four more often over the course of the season. If you're the Lakers, that improves your wing defense while also still having rim protection. Vooch adds offensive spacing, a little bit of, you know, l- little new element on the perimeter with a big man with his kind of handoff actions and all that. I don't know. I, I just think there's a lot of teams out there that would be lined up for a DeRozan or a Vooch or Levine as the piece that they feel like can put them over the top. Never mind if they were to say, hey, we'll, we'll add Caruso in there. Well, you know, you want Lonzo Ball with his long-term deal? We'll, we'll, we'll take one less first-round draft pick in the deal, and maybe he'll come back. But we yeah. get off that long-term money. I, I just think the Bulls, it needs to happen soon, though. Right? Because like, those other teams we mentioned, Orlando, Charlotte, Houston, San Antonio, Detroit, they're going to separate themselves at some point. December 15th is coming fast, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're separating themselves in the fact that they're just falling out of reach, uh, you know, downward separation as opposed to upward. Um, Yeah. I mean, you want to fail fast. It's kind of a thing. It's hard to to balance patience. I think if you have younger players who are developing, maybe it's easier to be patient. You know, I I heard Ryan and Bill talking about like being patient with Tatum and being patient with with Brown. Um, And I just think, in this situation, you don't want to get in a, uh, a scenario where the sunk, sunk cost fallacy kind of comes into play, where they're like, well, we made this move, we did this big thing. Um, this is a chance to reset and kind of pick your pieces. We talked about they have some guys that maybe they could serve two purposes at the same time here, where Patrick Williams needs some more on-ball stuff, Kobe needs some more, uh, Io needs some more. Um, that's a scenario where you're going to lose a lot of games if you do that. Um, and I just think you you want to be able to re- restart quickly, and this is a chance to do it. I think it's lining up because, like you said, they have players that are valuable that, that teams are going to want. Prey on it. See, seize that opportunity. All right, Kyle, last thing here today. Let's go to the TV guide, the game everybody should be watching this week. It's got to be Alabama-Houston on Saturday, right? It's got to be. Number oh, yeah. eight, Alabama. Number one, Houston. National TV game on ABC on a Saturday. No excuses. Got to be watching this one. It's going to be potentially an ugly game. That's what I would say. Because on the season, Houston, their schedule is kind of weak, but they've only allowed the highest point total they've allowed is 56 points. Um, dude, they defend their asses off. I know we always say that when we talk about Houston. It is hilarious to me to see how bought in they are. But this is going to be a game that's going to really, we're going to kind of test the metal of, we're talking about Brandon Miller's like handle and things like that. Like this will be a good tape specifically mm. for him. Um, I just think, um, it's going to stress him in some ways. It'll be interesting for the draft. I don't think it'll like. I don't think we should overreact to it, but it's going to be a good game, man. Houston, just if you like defense, good lord, you know for sure. I mean, this is a great game to be scouting Brandon Miller, and he has been great. You know, last couple of games, five of fifteen from the floor against UConn, four of twenty-one against UNC, five of eleven against South Dakota State. 39% at the rim this year, not doing a lot inside the arc. We've talked about that with him. So this was a, a, a great test on the Houston side of things. Um, Terrence Arsenault, a wing coming off their bench. 3 and D guy worth watching. 6'5", 35% from three, very active on defense. Maybe he'll get some you know switching opportunities against a Miller. That'd be cool to watch. Hugely disappointed he's not the son of Harold, the show Arsenal, by the way. I don't know if you remember him. Weaver State, it's a, that's a way uh, back I'm, reference. I'm whiffing again. <laughs> when I saw Arsenal, I was like, please be his son. It's not Harold Arsenal's son. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, old people that know what I'm talking about. Marcus Sasser, a guard, senior, you know, had turf toe as a junior. Might have been a, a first round or, you know, second round draft pick. He's, our, he's solid, you know, 30% from three, 82% from the line, more of a shot maker. You'd like to see him improve his efficiency. Uh, Jarese Walker, we mentioned him in the first week of the show as the Mark of Charks, a guy that John, our good friend Jonathan Charks would have loved as a prospect. How, how has Walker been so far this season after our first mention of him before the year began? He still physically, like defensively looks great. Um, I think that some of the self, we, we 
come circle back to this over and over. Take a drink. If you talk about self-creation, you'll be blind drunk if you listen to the show. It's so <laughs> important. Walker off the dribble has looked a little uncomfortable. Um, he he kind of is coming into his own on that one. I told you at times he was he had some plays where he reminded me of like Alex Poitras, where Poitras would make these, and I know that made you shudder. Alex Poitras gave me an ulcer at times when he played at Kentucky, but um struggled off the bounce, but he would do these incredible athletic like gap closing plays. Walker has had a little bit of that lately. Like he's just been a little shaky off the ball. He's very upright and stiff, you know. His shoulders like a truck, but um, just a little shaky lately off the bounce. That's my that's what I've been noticing lately. I'm looking forward to it. Be a fun game on Saturday. That's at uh, three Eastern, twelve Pacific on ABC. So a game on everybody's got it. Prime time. Tune in easily. Alabama, Houston, two top ten teams with a bunch of NBA draft prospects. Kyle, you got any plans this weekend? What do you got going on? Maybe watching some basketball. That's um, it. Just just watching basketball. Hanging with the fam, you know, nice. things like that. Uh, like going on a little date with my wife. I don't uh, know. We'll see. We'll see. After Houston, Alabama. After Houston. After that might, uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll build the date around Houston, Alabama. <laughs> no, she hates basketball and wants nothing. To, I even asked her one day, I was like, could you like, would you ever be interested in like pretending to like basketball? And she was like, no. So it's, uh, that's not happening. I appreciate that honesty. I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather that honesty. Instead of like an effort to like something that I don't actually like. It's not a problem for That's us. That's not it's, sustainable. It's, yeah, for sure. For sure. It's not, a, it's never been a problem for us. I'd, it's, it's nice. To, <laughs> it's nice to have some compartmentalization, you know, for sure. you like that. I like that. No, what, what do you get into? Warzone? What you doing this weekend? I'll be at the Houston, Alabama game. I'm going oh, to it. I'm going no to way. it, baby. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm going to go to it. Yeah. Where's it? Lo- where the? Where's it being played? Is it being played? It's in Houston. So I'm going to be interviewing some of those prospects on Friday, uh, the day before the game, trying to work ahead on some NBA draft guide stuff, which should be launching in January. That's the plan. I believe it'll be launching early mid January, something like that, with some number of profiles. So work working ahead on that, and uh, I'm trying to get Brandon Miller too. I'd like to talk to him, get a feel for him, and talk to him about some of his weaknesses. Oh, okay. Yeah. Be honest, you're going to Houston because of the reputation for its adult establishments. That's why you're going, Kev. It's not the game. You know, you know I have never been to a strip club. I haven't either. I never have. I haven't either. You had a really? sheltered upbringing. Seriously. <laughs> it's a goody goody. <laughs> I love it. We're confessing this. this no, people are always shocked when you say that. I, I haven't. I just haven't had any interest in going. No, no. I don't know. I just, you know. Never have. I'm not saying I wouldn't go. It's just it's, that never happened. Yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to go to like a club one time. But in 2011, I organized a trip to Montreal with me and my friends. And, and I wanted to go to a club one night. And none of them wanted to go. And I went out on my own and kind of just walked around Montreal. And, yeah. And, and they ended up going to a club that night. Without you? <laughs> yeah, without me. That's lame. Hold on, uh, wait a minute. I was Hold asleep. on. You I was said sleep at that point in the room. You wanted to go. They said no. You went they out. They wanted to go to a bar to watch hockey instead. And, and I was like, you know what? Like we're in Montreal. Let's. We should be doing something different than we ever usually do. I'm just gonna go out on my own. And I went for a walk. It was like a. It was. It was cold. Obviously, it's Montreal on New Year's Eve or near New Year's Eve. And I just went for a walk on my own. Eventually, fell asleep in the hotel room and knocked out. And I slept through whatever calls came through that they said they were going to a club. They, <laughs> they oh, so they did tell club. you. Oh, yeah. They, they let me know. Yeah. I was okay. just knocked out at that point. Yeah. Uh, I was curious. I was going to ask you about <laughs> I'm glad your, they went. <laughs> a lot, I'm endlessly fascinated that we ended up on strip clubs. I was curious about your, your Kevin Fest, your Instagram music uh, festival. Yeah. Like, kind of like the Spotify rap thing that went viral a couple weeks ago on, on a, well. I didn't Social realize media. that it was generated by your taste because I, when I saw some of the like lineup, like where people were in the lineup, I thought it was interesting, you know, because on de- on Tuesday, I noticed you had Father John Misty. Well, you're, well for what it's worth, for the listeners, you're referencing what is like a Coachella music poster with yeah. artists listed with the big font to the small font. And it's generated based on how often you listen to these artists, I think, or some type of algorithm like that. Sure, sure. And I, I, I think... It's the thing. It's like the, you know, how old you are basically by like the first, it's sort of like an eye chart for, you know, festival posters. Like yeah. the the highest line you can see is like your age, basically. So if you get to the, if you don't know any of them all the way to the top, you're really old. No, I was just curious that uh, you had the Beatles, you know, supporting 
you know, I support. I love Father John Missy. I just thought it was interesting that they were they were that late in the order. Um, yeah, yeah the, be- the Beatles were the small font, weren't they? They yeah. were. Well, they we were. we could only we could only book you know the Beatles for a three p.m. slot. Apparently, to bring back the dead, they can't come out for a nine p.m. slot. Oh, okay. I see. I didn't yeah, realize there was why. like supernatural that yeah. kind of shaman stuff. Same going with Hendrix. On. That's why Hendrix is on at six. But it's very you. Like I feel like I, I feel like if someone had told me like, okay, the headliners are Pink Floyd, Father John Misty, and then Muse on Wednesday. I bet you, if someone threatened my life, they were like, if you don't guess this, you're <laughs> dead. I could have guessed that it was you. <laughs> like the, really, the Pink Floyd. First I don't know. I just knew, like the Muse thing is just such a funny. <laughs> like I don't know. It's just a funny turn. Now you got a lot. Of, you got a diverse lineup here. I, I was impressed with it. It's yeah, cool. I, a lot I mean, of variety. I'm, I'm very happy. Leanne La Havas made it on that list. She's like my number one celebrity crush. I was gonna say, is she on your Dua Lipa, like your celebrity? Oh, yeah. I would marry her today. List, yes. <laughs> All right, folks, you heard it here first. <laughs> Glad we got that covered. <laughs> well, that's gonna do it for another episode of That'll the Ringers NBA Draft Show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing. Please do us a favor. Follow us. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Pass along the link to a friend who likes the NBA draft as well and might enjoy the show. Give us a five-star rating. It really does help us out. Thank you so much, Kyle. Have a great rest of your week, man. You too, buddy. <laughs>